Chapter Twelve of Leave It to Doris. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cindy Boo. Leave It to Doris, by Ethel Houston. Chapter Twelve, Finding the Path. Then Mister McCavan had suspected the trouble long before he was told of it. Did not surprise him at all. Somehow they always expected the most unexpected things of him, and he entered into their plans naturally and helpfully, as became one who boasted fairy powers. I have a grand idea," announced Doris. "I thought of it just as Mister McCavan came in. Not that he has anything to do with it,、uh, but the sight of him inspired me." "Yes, and what is the grand idea?" urged her father, who knew from of old that her ideas were always well worth considering. There is only one month of school before vacation, and then we will be a united family to handle you. And fathers take a lot of handling, you know. Now I think you should ask for a vacation right away, on full pay, you understand, and go to Chicago and have the operation at once. Then, by the time school is out, the worst will be over. It will be quite easy to fill the pulpit now. Because the town will be full of ministers here for commencement and the trustees' meeting, and such things, and they will be glad to preach when they find how father is taking his vacation. A good idea, as you say, and it will be a relief to have it over. Maybe I can arrange. You needn't arrange anything. Leave it to me. I shall go to the president of the college and put up a scheme with him. When ministers come visiting, he will tip me off, and I shall personally invite them to preach. Leave it to me. But suppose you should miss a meeting. If she does, I shall give them a lecture on the psychology of religion. I can tell them a few things that are not mentioned in the Bible, but can help to make them better Christians nonetheless. After Mister McCammon. You should not suppose such things, anyhow, Father. It isn't ministerial, but since you hesitate to trust me alone, maybe you can let Providence and me together assume the responsibility with Mister McCammon to back us up. That puts it on a firm foundation, at least. In the meantime, I shall use my eyes as little as possible. Not at all. Rest them absolutely," said Mister McCammon quickly. Get them in good shape for the operation. Wear the biggest, blackest glasses you can get, and do not look at a paper or book. Do not even touch your Bible. I know my Bible pretty well, and I can think my scripture, but I shall miss the headlines. Oh, Father, let me read the paper to you every morning. I am a good reader," cried Rosalie. I come out strong on the right words. Everybody says so. 
this problem will be afterward. How can I bridge those weeks when I cannot study? Oh, father, we've been scheming," cried Doris. "Rosalie and I got out the barrel of old sermons you had at Delta before we came here, and we sorted over the outlines and picked out a lot of good ones. And you can preach from those this summer. You tell the rest, Rosalie. It is your contribution." Well, father," she said shyly. When I knew about your eyes, I began to get ready to help, for I knew Doris would have the family to manage, and that I was the proper one to stand with you. And so I took a lot of special courses in Bible study and practical Christianity and social service stuff, and I can look up references as quick as a wink. And really, I know a lot, so I shall be a pastor's assistant and furnish the eyes while your own are resting. Why, Rosalie, you little problem," he said brokenly. "I wanted to surprise you, Father, and all the time I was talking of my career. I knew that my career would be right here with you and Doris, making up the men's." He held her hands very closely in his, and did not speak for a while. Everyone is taking hold. He said at last, "I have worked all my life, every day, crowded full to overflowing. Now everything is going, and how shall I fill the days?" This is where I come in," said Mister Macmillan quickly. "I have to begin some very important proofreading on my newest philosophy, my very best work, and the most pretentious." And I was wondering if you wouldn't come out and loaf with me most of the time, and let me proofread aloud to you. I really need some expert opinion as I go along. Maybe it would help you with the time. I know it would help me with the book. Mister Altman sat silent again for a while. Girls, he began finally. I am ashamed to say I was puzzled. I could not see the way. Now it is opening up, step after step, and the rest will come in its proper time. I shall never worry again. And tomorrow night, I will ask for my vacation at once. Have you got the money, Father? Asked Z. We may have to squeeze a little, he said, smiling. The board will advance my June salary, I know, and the household bills can run for a while. There is a little in the bank. I do not know just how much. Forty-two dollars and eighty-six cents, said Doris practically. But the bills for this month are paid. I can see the hand of a tender providence in that. For it is mighty seldom we have the bills paid and forty-two dollars and eighty-six cents beside. The forty-two dollars will run you here at home, and the June salary will see me through at Chicago. Just as I am always trying to show you, says he. We preachers have our troubles, but there is always a plain path made for us. When we get to it, yes. 
The trouble is that some of us have a habit of wanting to see the past before we get there. I like to use the telescope on it, miles ahead. I'm afraid," her father admitted. "How simply and naturally things work out. After all the months of anxious fear, the vacation was arranged without the slightest trouble. The June salary was paid in advance with no dissenting voice, and one elder, the dearest of them all, said gently. And there are a few of us who wish to make up a little purse. Oh, not much, just a little word of appreciation. You know, we'll get it together and put into the bank for you. It may help a little. Mister Artman's conscience kept him awake hours that night, for he had been worrying about money too, worrying in spite of the fact that every step had been cleared when the time for stepping came. And he had worried about the bills there would be when the operation was over, and he was at home again, for his expenses in Chicago would be heavy. Even though he went to the Presbyterian Hospital, where they do ministers for nothing, and Doctor Hancock had arranged with the surgeon that the expenses of the operation could wait till a convenient time, the girl's expenses would be much lighter when school was out. And they would not use the car quite so often. Only now and then, when they could not resist the luring call of it. I want you to come for a drive with me in my car tonight, Doris," Mister McCammon said one evening. "You have taken me indoors several times, and you are always so concerned with speedometers and gears that you pay no attention to my conversation. Tonight." You go joy riding on my guests. Thank you, I shall be glad to," said Doris in her very politest manner, for to go joy riding on some other person's guests was a great treat, and to go joy riding on Mister McCammon's guests was the greatest treat of all. So she put on the charming blue motor hat, homemade out of old veils and scraps of velvet, but which, as Rosalie said. Was just as flirtatious as though it had cost forty-two dollars and eighty-six cents at Marshall Fields. Mister McCammon helped her into the car very formally, and Rosalie from the front porch waved them away. Father, she said to him when the car had disappeared, "I hope your eyes have not affected your mental vision." I suppose you realize that your perfectly wonderfully philosophical psychologist, or whatever he is, is quite humanly and commonplacely and everydayly in love with your darling Doris. Oh, Rosalie, don't give me anything more to worry about. I do not care how perfectly wonderfully philosophically and psychologically he is. He shall not come upsetting my household. That is certain. But Mr. Artman smiled. After all, Doris was a dear girl, and Mr. McCammon was, even more than Rosalie had said, and it was one opportunity in ten thousand, in his private opinion. And wasn't it just like providence to give that opportunity to one of the sweet, simple girls of the men's, rather than to some of the more pretentious, more expectant girls of the little town? What I particularly wish to say to you is this," 
Mr. McCammon was saying to Doris. If you can get your eyes off the mileage long enough to listen. Doris turned around sideways in the seat, and snuggled back among the cushions, and looked at him so directly that his mind went wandering on the instant, and they were silent in a while. A penny for them, he offered suddenly. I was just wondering how old you really are. It has bothered me so long, and you need not give me the penny. I much prefer the information. I am thirty-six, and I was going to say this. Are you planning to go to Chicago with your father? Now I know you are truly a wizard. I have thought of that every minute of the whole day. I am afraid we can't. We wanted to, Rosalie and I both, but we just have to save the pennies. So I think we shall hand him over to Providence when he gets on the train. It does not cost a great deal, six dollars per round trip, and it costs a fortune to stay in Chicago even a few days. We cannot afford it. She sighed a little. Once in a while, it really hurts to be poor. I think I told you, didn't I, that I have to go to Chicago myself this week to arrange for the publishing of the new book. What? Didn't I tell you? Stupid of me to forget it. You did not tell me, and I know you are just going to watch over father, and I think you are wonderful. She caught his hand and kissed it with girlish gratitude, while he smiled on her with tender eyes. Of course, you do not care if my care is smashed, he said whimsically. I notice you keep both hands on the wheel every minute when you have the precious little red things of yours out, but my car is different. Oh, excuse me," she smiled brightly, winking back the tears. "Well, let me finish. I have a small apartment in Chicago, not much of a place, but a cozy corner out by the lake where I can sneak off and work when I wish, and nobody else can find me." It has a little kitchen and some stuff where Benz can fix me up a meal, or I can do it myself if he is not with me. I keep the apartment all the time to be ready for a hurry order, but I have a friend in the city too, and when I just run in for a couple of nights or so with no special work to do, I bunk with him to be sociable. So why couldn't you and Rosalie go up and take my apartment for a week, and I can stay with Johnson? It would be easier for you to stand it there than here, and I think your father will like it. Oh, that is just、um, but a fair. Still, still, it wouldn't be. Oh, oh dear me! Now I don't know what," cried Doris desperately. Of course, I will excuse you for interrupting me, since you ask it," he said evenly. But I was far from though. I am going to drive up to Chicago in my car. I have a lot of running around to do, out to Evanston and to the university, and not over town. I haven't the time to bother with streetcars nor the patience to bother with taxis, so I shall take my own locomotion with me. It is a good road all the way, and I can make the run in a few hours. Of course, your father could not drive up in the wind, 
but you and Rosalie seem very healthy, and I have a back seat. So if you feel any desire to go with me, why、well, I think. Doris put her head in her arm on the back of the seat and sobbed. That she sat up quickly and patted his arm as warmly as she dared, with any degree of safety to the searing, and said, "Mr. Withered, please wake me up. You have me under the spell of your charm, and I am dreaming things." I hope you are under the spell of my charm. And I wouldn't wake you up for a thousand dollars," he said explosively. And although, of course, it was only a joke, Doris blushed and began making plans for the trip very hurriedly. "What shall we do with the little girls?" she asked, confident of his ability to do something. "I have not reached that portion of the family yet. Let me see. They can have bands to take care of them. Wouldn't they love that?" Now we will get Miss Carton. She has been hinting to come for a visit for quite a while, and now is just the time. It will shock her to find father gone, but she is filing an emergency, and this is one. Now let's hurry home and tell father. When Rosalie heard of this new and wonderful dispensation of providence in the person of the enormous philosopher, she looked at him very steadily. And said in her softest voice, "Mr. McCammon, you haven't a brother, have you? A younger brother who looks like you, or a son?" "No," he said, staring at her in surprise. "I haven't anybody. Why?" "I wanted to put in an application for him. That is all." "Why, Rosalie?" Suddenly he laughed aloud. And drew her away to a remote corner of the room. Then I take it that my efforts along this line do not meet with your disapproval. Quite the contrary. Can you assure me of success? He asked, still smiling. But Rosalie observed that his eyes were very bright and very earnest. No, she said slowly. One cannot quite do that, you know. He looked suddenly startled. You don't mean, is is there anybody? There can't be anyone. Has she told you about the buy shop? No, she hasn't mentioned the buy shop or anybody. He said in a voice quite changed. Why, Mister McCammon, you would not want to win your heart's desire too easily, would you? Think what a satisfaction it will be later on to know what you outclassed the buy shop. Yes, but suppose I don't. These, excuse me, these buy shops, you know, something about the cloth, the glamour of the church. But it helps to have your blessing. I thought you hadn't noticed. You thought I hadn't noticed? Mercy! What else, the man? Thought I hadn't noticed. Why? How could I help it? I, I don't know. Hand that buy shop.、Uh, oh shucks! What is a buy shop? Come on, congratulate me. Do it right now to spur me on and just to prove that we don't care two cents for the buy shop. Rosalie held out her hand. 
I congratulate you with all my heart. You are not good enough for her, but if she is satisfied, I should worry. On behalf of the man's, I welcome you. Thanks. Now it is all settled. I feel better, and they laughed together gaily. What in the world are you two doing, whispering back there in the corner? Asked Doris curiously. Mercy, are you holding hands? We are sealing a solemn pact, he answered blithely. Rosalie has a way of making me very happy sometimes. Doris caught her breath suddenly, and crushed her fingers against her lips. A dark shadow came into her eyes, and she looked searchingly into Rosalie's laughing face. Then she crossed the room, and stood by her father, her finger gripping his sleeve. And very soon he slipped away up the stairs and went to bed. When Rosalie came to find her, she said she was tired and nervous. Wouldn't Rosalie say good night for her, and tell him how kind he had been? When Rosalie repeated the message to Mister McCammon, he looked perturbed. Isn't she coming down at all? Seems not, but she is nervous, really, and worried about father. And your kindness had upset her. I'll bet she is thinking of that buy shop," he said grimly. You run upstairs and talk about me, will you? Tell her how nice I am, and how handsome, and what a good husband I will make. Put it on pretty thick. You know how it is done—a lovely diamond ring for a pin's young lady. If you play it right, there's a nice little girl. So Rosalie obediently ran up and sat beside Doris on the bed, stroking the hot hand. And saying over and over how charming and clever and thoughtful dear Mister McCammon was, and how much more attractive than that stupid bishop, and how wonderfully good she was sure he would be to any girl who became his very own. And Doris lay on the bed quivering, too loyal to her sister to voice a protest, but lacking the moral courage to speak agreement. And Doris did not sleep that night, although she hated herself for being so sorry over such a little thing as, well, as what. Anyhow, she was surprised. That was all, but was ashamed even to think of such a trifle, in the face of father's so much greater grief. And when she wept softly into the pillow. She had to tell herself over and over again that every tear was for father, and every sob, and every bit of ache that was in her heart. End of chapter twelve. Recording by Cindy Boo.